everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House, the chillest Kansas government and politics podcast around. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's State House team. I'm joined by my better half, Jason Tid. Jason, how are you doing, sir? Doing well, Andrew. Thank you. It's Cinco de Mayo on the day that we are recording this. Uh, so we had good tacos for lunch, went to Tacos El Sol. And that, uh, that always makes a good day. It does. And we're here with John Hanna of the Associated Press, who always gets sour cream with his tacos. That's true. Um, also, we should note that we are an award-winning podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you for slipping that yes, in. I neglected yes, to yes. do so. We are on take two of the uh, intro because someone uh, couldn't contain their coughs. Cough, cough. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you whippersnappers, you. Sometimes old people cough. <laughs> John, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here, Andrew. On your day off, you still endeavored to come in and come on Chillin' it's in the It's such State a House. joy to be on Chillin' in the State House that it's it's like it's like uh, recreation for me. <laughs> well, it was somewhat slower week this week in the state house some might call it chiller yes yeah but while the temperatures are heating up outside chilling down in the state house but there were some significant goings on and and yesterday the day i was off and dropped it all in jason's lap um we got some interesting news from a federal district court judge regarding a challenge of maybe not like the world's most uh, earth-shattering election law but kind of an important one and it points to some of what we've been seeing in recent months and jason can you can you get us caught up on what happened the other day in in federal court well so uh, there was this law passed in 2021, uh, almost said 2001. Uh, I would not have been in the state house covering things, may, may, maybe an elementary school trip. Uh, I was here, though. <laughs> uh, so this law passed over the veto of uh, Governor Laura Kelly had a couple provisions challenged in state court, a couple provisions challenged in federal court. Uh, the piece that was relevant for Thursday's ruling was a uh, requirement that if you mail a mail, a, an advanced ballot application to a voter, you cannot have any fields pre-filled. Uh, so that would be stuff like your name or your address. Uh, and this ban was struck down as unconstitutional by a federal judge in KCK. And this was part of a, a broader law. Uh, other pieces that were already challenged and actually that the state agreed not to enforce because they acknowledged it was not constitutional. There was another part of the law that banned out-of-state groups from mailing advanced ballot applications to Kansans. And Back, I, I, I was here in 2021 when this passed. Uh, John was here. You weren't here just yet, were you? Not yet. A few months away. Um, so the, the rationale was in 2020 when a lot of people, more people than we've ever seen before in Kansas, voted by mail. Um, there was a concern that out-of-state groups were kind of inundating Kansans with these applications. They were maybe filled out. They might be confusing people. 
they might be creating more work for elections officers because people are sending multiple of those mail ballot applications in because they're confused. And, and the, maybe this would lead to fraud. And the federal judge concluded that there was no evidence of any of that. The judge was Catherine Vrattle. She said in her order a couple of things. First of all, there was no evidence of any fraud. The state presented none uh, related to this. The second... Uh, thing was that there did not appear to be any evidence of massive voter confusion, at least not enough to justify this law, and it wasn't very narrowly tailored. And then third, the idea that this created more work, actually she concluded the opposite was true. She There was testimony from several local election officials who said it actually made their jobs a little easier. Um so none of those rationales, according to the judge anyway, uh, held up. And her argument was that, first of all, that, th- that this was a violation, a clear violation of the First Amendment, that telling these folks that they couldn't do this prevented them from advancing their pro-advance voting message, that it denied them the right to associate with people who wanted to advance vote, um, so, uh, and, and it was not very narrowly tailored. And this law, she said, needed uh, strict scrutiny. And, and speaking of rationales behind uh, this law, uh, the judge also said that the rationales were not reflective, re- reflected in the legislative uh, history and the hearings on the, that bill. Yeah, and going back to 2021 when Children in the State House was but a wee podcast um this was kind of passed in tandem with another more sweeping i think probably more noteworthy election law change that included the provision that i I think we've discussed on here in the last few weeks of uh, banning the number of ballots that yeah limiting it limiting a single person can collect um and also restricting like candidates can no longer collect mail ballots um, also included language that uh, heightened penalties for impersonating an election official, uh, which has been challenged in state and federal court as well. And I, I found the, the Judge Vradel's ruling interesting because she referenced a state court ruling that we got uh, in March where uh, in a unanimous ruling, a three-panel, three-judge panel of Kansas Court of Appeals justices reinstated a state court challenge to the uh, kind of the, the broader splashier law that uh, and said that under the Kansas Constitution voting is a fundamental right and, and that the law would would seem to impair it and it was significant because it, it seemed to be the first time in the state's history that that a, a court kind of went there and applied the 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 language of the Kansas Constitution and Kansas Bill of Rights to say voting is that fundamental right and and deserves this higher level of scrutiny. And, well, and, it and seems uh, uh, clear and obvious that voting is a fundamental right. I was going to say uh, how how I mean that's kind of like duh. But we had a <laughs> in senator, a republic duh. We, we we had a senator earlier this session say that voting was not a right. Well, that's clearly incorrect. It is a right. It's pretty fundamental right. And uh, 
And so, yeah, the the courts here have that maybe the jurisprudence in Kansas hasn't been that well developed, but you know, you can you can look at things like the discussions of poll taxes and various other things. Yeah, and the mention of strict scrutiny in that case referred back to the 2019 abortion ruling. Mm-hmm. That that ruling is starting to play out in in interesting ways. It's starting to pop up here and there in various uh, appellate court rulings in Kansas. Well, and I think that's kind of why the, in the same way that the Hodes case was, I mean, I guess slightly different in that I think, again, there there has been this general acceptance that voting is a core right, but to lay it out in the kind of mirroring the Hodes decision sets a potential precedent for future challenges to laws like the one that's being challenged in federal court or laws that the legislature may well pass in the future. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, you think about, for example, the state used to have, it's still on the books, but it's not enforced. The state used to have a requirement that you provide citizenship documents when you go to register for the first time. That got into federal court and... uh, Somewhat infamously. (laughs) Somewhat infamously. And the ultimate ruling from, I think, the Tenth Circuit, I don't think the U.S. Supreme Court reviewed it, was that basically that created too that created too much of a burden when contrasted with what with the problem it was purporting to solve, which was that people, if they didn't show their citizenship documents, non-citizens could be voting, and of course, what we what the evidence presented in the case was a almost in terms of the number of people who registered to vote an infinitesimal number of non-citizens might be listed on the roll and there was no proof that even very many of them vote although i do think there was one case one or two cases of a non-citizen voting so it's not like it had never happened but in terms of the burden which was slowing down or stopping the registration for something like 30,000 plus people on the one hand and you know 60 or 70 or 100 people might be improperly on the rolls and one or two may have voted the, when the court weighed that it struck down the the proof of citizenship requirement if i remember correctly i mean this would have been nine years ago for myself i uh, was in college and was one of those people who applied to vote for the first time and it said that i needed my birth certificate which i was in manhattan applying online and my birth certificate was back home in iola in a safety deposit box so i did not have access to my birth certificate for applying and i think around that time was when the state decided that we can look up Kansas birth certificates with KDHE or whoever holds them and cross-check ourselves. And if I think like a month or two later, I had my... Uh, well, and, and that, that was, was an interesting wrinkle. That was an interesting wrinkle in the case because you had plaintiffs who didn't have their birth certificates, so they couldn't register. And in the middle of the case, if I'm remembering the details correctly... Uh, the Secretary of State's office made sure that 
they were cross-checked and then they were properly registered. So in theory, they could no longer be plaintiffs because they were no longer suffering the harm. And there was an interesting back and forth in court documents about, you know, well, we were just doing our job versus you did this deliberately to scotch the lawsuit. Um, And of course, the Secretary of State at the time was Chris Kobach. Who is now Attorney General. Right. And so he is listed as a defendant on this federal court case, even though he personally would not have been involved in the arguments and such on it. But now that he is listed as a defendant, he said that he intends to appeal the decision. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Tenth Circuit looks at it. Uh, I mean, Judge Rattle's opinion was pretty straightforward and, frankly, in terms of laying out the logic, pretty brutal. Um, it did not sound like for her that it was even a close call, um, reading between the lines, but, you know, who knows what an appellate court will say, uh, looking at all these issues. I mean, she didn't even require like a in-person trial or anything. No, I, I, the, the note in the case file online said that they just had trouble, figuring out a date when everybody could get together and argue. So she said, well, I'll just do it on the pleadings, which who knows if that's reversible error, but um, one can imagine her. Well, I don't know. I don't know her well enough, but if I were a judge and I could avoid long-winded speeches by attorneys, I'd do it. (laughs) Instead, we get long-winded speeches in podcast form, I guess, from all three of us. Indeed. And we appreciate you for listening to our long-winded speeches. Yes. Well, and I guess looking to the future, it might be worth, we covered it a bit over the course of the session, but maybe not super extensively going over where lawmakers landed on voting law changes because there was, there were some kind of interesting dynamics at play. You had, on one hand, Secretary of State Scott Schwab, who at various points was arguing in favor of, say, ballot drop boxes, which are the locked receptacles that uh, often sit outside county clerk offices and you can put your ballot in there. Or in other locations. Yeah, outside, like in... in, Post uh, offices. Fire stations. Fire stations, city halls. In in 2020, Shawnee County had one that they just moved around and and had in parking lots at various places. Yeah. the Secretary of State arguing in favor of that in, in light of struggles with the U.S. Postal Service. And you had Attorney General Chris Kobach, aforementioned Chris Kobach, uh, arguing against them and actually arguing that it, they are improper because it, it makes that 2021 law on collecting, on one person collecting 10 mail ballots, harder to enforce. And it was kind of an interesting dynamic. I mean, John, can you remember the last time we had two statewide officials basically on opposite sides of an issue? Especially two statewide officials of the same party. Of the same party, party. yeah. Well, uh, the governor and the other statewide uh, If I'm recalling correctly, yes, yes, I can. I can remember some uh, conflict over workers' compensation laws. And I believe uh, Chris Kobach, uh, then Secretary of State, was on one side and 
uh, Derek Schmidt than the attorney general was on another side. Uh, we just had the situation with the rail safety rule that Laura Kelly reimposed this week, Governor Laura Kelly, uh, in what was it last year or the year before Derek Schmidt blocked it. And apparently Chris Kobach, the new attorney general is not going to block it. So that's an interesting wrinkle, but I'm, I'm struck, um, I'm struck by the the attorney general's concern that uh, this makes it harder to enforce the uh, the the limit on how many ballots you can collect. Um, I guess you, voting rights advocates would say, "Well, so what? That law's in their mind. That law is ridiculous and shouldn't even be on the books." So uh, they're not too troubled that it it can't be enforced. Uh, strictly and and uh, we'll see we'll see how that we'll see how that goes what we we didn't the the senate at one point passed to build a ban ballot drop boxes mm-hmm. and the state gop chairman mike brown who has uh in the past promoted these uh election conspiracies these baseless election conspiracies also very big opponent of ballot drop boxes but that did not clear the legislature um, no, that the House never took it up. The House passed actually earlier in the session a bill that would have given the Secretary of State's office the ability to uh, regulate drop boxes. That's what Schwab's office wants. It's kind of a compromise. Um, instead, where they kind of landed were bills that would have ended the three-day post-election window in which your ballot, as long as it is postmarked by Election Day, can arrive and be counted. And that was vetoed without too much fanfare by Governor Kelly. It, uh, I believe, did, did they did they even bother trying to take up the veto override on that? I don't believe they did. I don't remember that they did. Did they? Last week was so long ago that I can't remember. Uh, if they did, it did not succeed. No. It, and, it, there was significant opposition. I believe they they did take it up in the Senate, but did not get to two-thirds, actually, yeah. now that I think about it. Yeah, that's right. Um, there were some members who did flip to support the bill after opposing it initially, but not enough. Well, and, and that that's interesting because, you know, the argument, first of all, let's say most states do require the ballot to arrive on election day. So what Republicans were proposing is not unusual at all. What is interesting is that some of the Republicans who are pushing this uh, voted to uh, allow this in 2017 uh, on the theory that the mail was slowing down um, because there are no processing centers here in Kansas anymore. Um, and that's still the argument, and it's primarily Republicans from rural areas who have raised big issues with this, that you know, if your mail is in Garden City, to go across the street to the county elections office, it has to go to Abilene or Denver or Albuquerque, I think, to be sorted, or Kansas, even Kansas City. Well, and, and again, two, two arguments. First of all, there's no evidence of any fraud connected with yeah, this. Yeah, we, we should get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> the, 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 and... There's just none. Uh, the other argument is, well, election day should be election day, and of course, you haven't. The counties have until the second Monday after the election to uh, certify their results and turn them into the state, and then the state gets them, and usually by the end of November, uh, certifies them 
So it's it's again, the election doesn't end on election day. It, it you know there are or the election ends, but the counting of the votes, the counting of the votes. End. That's a better way to put when it. When we report on the results as media members on election night, those are still unofficial results that can and right. often and do usually change. You, usually, if a race is really really close, you don't call it until you see you know provisional ballots and and other things all right if you remember back to this past november nobody was calling the governor's race on election night no no as a matter of fact it wasn't until i I don't it wasn't until the next i think morning late morning that it was called and i think the attorney general's race (laughs) was even closer and i don't think that was called for a bit either no i think the attorney general claimed victory on election night but there was a little bit and it was clear from the governor candidate speeches uh which way each of them thought it was going to go and that was how it ended up but that it it wasn't officially official Uh, yeah um yeah i mean you know i think i think we talked about this before on here and it's clear though that particularly with mike brown installed as chair of the republican party this is going to be something that will keep getting tried every year legislation to this effect because that is now part of the Kansas Republican Party platform but it, it will mean I think a collision course with the courts that that both the federal and state courts have recently well sure alluded and at, to. at what point at what point does the reality of the lack of fraud sink in and overwhelm at what point do these conspiracy theories ever fade or do they, you know, do they keep going on and it's 20, the 2034 governor's race and we're still, you know, hearing about ballot drop boxes, even though there've been no problems for a decade, um, assuming that there won't be. Um, well, and in fairness, there is nothing really in statute spelling out what ballot drop boxes should look like. Counties will do things differently and handle it differently. And I think part of the logic and part of why the Secretary of State said, hey, let us do rules and regs is we can standardize it. And obviously, I guess the the other side is we're going to standardize it by banning them all. Um, Sure. And and I mean, I think that there is some search for clarity and, and maybe a bit of uniformity there. Well, and and you whether know, banning them gets you there or not, I suppose is what is up for debate. Well, and and again, the issue there with is if you don't have ballot drop boxes, you limit you're limiting people's ability to get their ballots back to the election office. I mean, uh, you know, they they either have to put it in the mail or drive it in during certain hours, and if you're, you know, working and you lose if you don't work that hour, you don't get paid. Um, you know, that's not something you, you easily do. Um, you know, there's the, the voting is a really interesting, uh, thing because, you know, why, why Tuesday as opposed to say Saturday, um, when most people are off work or why one day as opposed to three days. Exactly. Or Although, not making it a holiday like some countries do. Yes. Some countries do holidays. I mean, that, that's a point. I mean, we do in effect have a, a two week period of advanced voting. If I'm remembering two weeks, is it? I believe so. So, you know, it's, it's not like it's down to one day anyway, like it, 
like it used to be. So, I mean, there are a few states that send everybody a mail ballot. I think Oregon does that or Washington. I think Colorado might. Yeah. So, I mean, those are, and and the Democrats, when they had their presidential primary uh, in 2020, because of COVID, they did a, they did basically their own mail ballot election and mailed out a hundred thousand plus ballots. That's going to be a substantial election change for 2024. (laughs) The state will be funding and administering the presidential primary. Yeah, I think they put in $4.5 million for that, if to, I'm remembering. To, to try and make the counties whole. And, and that's a departure. It's been decades since Kansas. 1992. Twice in the last, I think, 40 years that's happened. Where usually the parties run them and, and uh, you know can set the rules. And they usually, like the Republicans, will have a Saturday in, in the spring where it it happens, and, and they did. They did kind of in 2016. They did kind of a caucus, kind of a. It looked like a presidential primary, but it was technically a caucus. Um, and of course, in 2020, since then President Trump was on the ballot, and there was no pretense that they weren't going to give all their support to him. They they didn't even. They just had congressional district and a state convention to pick delegates to the national convention they just basically declared trump the winner i'm just reminiscing about 2016 uh primary caucuses uh whichever you just said it was uh i was in manhattan a student student reporter uh and it was on fake patty's day that uh college students and professors and other townies in Manhattan all went to the high school to caucus. And I still remember what Barry Flitchbaugh said. Uh, the, you, great, you want, the great agricultural economist, Barry yeah, Flitchbaugh. If, if you want to know what he said, you can go look up the K-State Collegian story from 2016. <laughs> and because you it should. Is a word well, and I you should, because now I'm curious podcast. what Barry Flinchbaugh said. Yeah. Barry, Barry Flinchbaugh was somebody, legislators, state officials, consulted a lot uh, when it came to ag policy. And uh, was instrumental in the farm bills yes and so i think this might be the first farm bill in probably decades that he yeah he didn't have a hand in but same as pat roberts well i i remember uh i remember what i remember is 2008 the democrats had their caucuses i think it was mid-february on a on uh, a weeknight and it snowed heavily it was a real winter storm uh, across a good part, at least a good part of Northeast Kansas. And yet uh, the caucuses were uh, overwhelmed. The Democrats were overwhelmed with the number of people and it was all Barack Obama voters coming out to vote for him mm-hmm. as opposed to Hillary Clinton. And uh, there was a, the middle school in central Topeka, Robinson Middle mm-hmm. School, where they like they hardly had enough room for everybody who showed up. And it, it was amazing because in some places it was five to one for Obama over Clinton. Well, that was uh, – Sebelius was room uh, – an Obama supporter was room. Yes, yes. VP, right? A couple of days before the – primary he had an event in el dorado and she came down for that event and endorsed him right there thinking of how uh and then she got on his shortlist for vice president and eventually was hhs secretary i'm sorry jason no no. uh thinking of how busy caucuses can be and how crowded uh the more urban areas of the state especially 
Sedgwick County Republicans wanted this uh, mm-hmm. state-funded primary bill because it's really difficult to get, I mean, how many registered Republicans in Sedgwick County? 100,000, 200,000 in one place where they can all caucus? Right, yeah. Uh, it's a, well, and and and, and, and in like a very specific time window on a very specific day, and yeah, and tough, and a primary is just going to get more voters. It's just going to get several times more voters total than a caucus will, and you know that can be that can be good from a, a participation standpoint. You get a better feel for the broader part of your party how they view the advantage of a caucus is the people who do it are really really committed so you're really getting a flavor of how the activists feel and how, who they're excited about um of course the this primary is scheduled for march 19th i believe that's the first day you can have a winner take all mm-hmm. which is interesting because of course that's how donald trump won the nomination in 2016 he won all these winner take all contests with a plurality um and so he wasn't in theory he wasn't the choice of the majority of republicans but he kept picking up all these delegates now of course as soon as he was the nominee the party's most of the party uh there's the never trumpers out there but most of the party coalesced behind him and and the rest is, as they say, history. Now I'm just thinking of the back when we, when I wrote up the student newspaper at <laughs> K State, we had a an April Fool's edition, and uh, one of the April Fool's stories was that Bill Snyder was going to run for president, and uh, I think pick up the delegates that were not technically dedicated to trump yet i bet bill uh, snyder could carry kansas well uh he whatever party he ran with i bet he could carry kansas <laughs> yes this is a this podcast has just been like long one long nostalgia it, it, trip I, for you yeah i i think the uh the made-up quote because it was very clear that it was an april fool's story but the made-up quote was something like the opportunity exists for the greatest turnaround in american political history <laughs> yes after turning around k-state's football program Email. <laughs> well, now that we've descended into college sports talk. Oh, wait, 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 wait. The gratuitous Disney reference. Oh, yeah. We're, we have we're to winding get in, down. We got we, we to get in the gratuitous uh, Disney reference. Well, since we're talking about presidential candidates, uh, Ron DeSantis versus Disney. Okay. That's kind <laughs> that of newsy, though. That, that was not the Disney reference I was anticipating. He went out. He, uh, yeah, that is an interesting thing. Ron DeSantis is starting, or was at least a few weeks ago, starting to get criticism from some Republicans. I mean, uh, Donald Trump suggested he'd been played, basically. Well, well Andrew, Nikki Haley were, was trying to get him to move to South Carolina. <laughs> and, and, and Andrew, yeah, because you could just pick up a 200-acre theme park and transfer it. Well, but. And, Andrew, you were there when DeSantis came to Kansas to campaign for Derek Schmidt. I was, yeah. That was it. Was a really interesting dynamic, and and well, what what wasn't it more like uh, forty five minutes of DeSantis talking about his co- accomplishments and thirty five seconds of mentioning Derek Schmidt? Yeah, you're not far off. I mean, it, it was clearly the it was a tour of Ron. De, it was Ron DeSantis across America, but but it, it was clearly a way for him to, you know. Massage his, yeah. massage his national profile a bit. Uh, well, and, we and, 
And of course, now what you've got is this debate within the Republican Party about uh, can DeSantis go for the jugular? Does he understand that, you know, you can't, uh, some columnists I've read suggest you can't beat Trump on the issues. You have to, you have to play his game. Uh, what is Donald Trump's nickname for Ron DeSantis now? Which one of his nicknames? I think it's Ron DeSanctimonious. That, that is one of them. Then I can't remember what the other one is, but. Um, well, if you care that much, you probably you are probably already to other know. podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it seemed a good move for Derek Schmidt to bring in yeah. uh, Ron DeSantis. It burnished his conservative cred- credentials, and of course, it never hurts to get a look at somebody who may be the twenty twenty four a twenty twenty four candidate. And you know, Ron DeSantis was laying out a conservative vision, and you know, much much shorter than reading a book. Uh, he's got a book out, I guess. They all do whenever it, they run the for president. Cited in the Disney lawsuit. Really? Uh, excerpts of the book. And you sold uh, some copies, at least. Probably yeah. the, the the lawyers. That's going to be that's going it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and I mean, to kind of bring it back to Kansas, I I think it's interesting that there have been criticisms of Ron DeSantis for maybe focusing too much on social issues, uh, and. This legislative session, it feels like there's been a lot of focus on oh, yeah. social issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it felt like they were, and some days it felt like they were saying, hey, what did Ron DeSantis do today? Let's try that. Um, there, I mean, they did not do, for example, the law that's been criticized as don't say gay. Um, but they were pursuing school choice. They were pursuing this these uh, laws rolling back transgender rights. Um you know, and if we want to hook into voting, uh, Chris Kobach said that he thinks that the way the law that he thinks you can't change the gender marker on your your birth certificate if you're trans once that law takes effect. And of course, if you have to show photo ID at the polls and you're female as you go in, but your driver's license says you're male, uh, that that could cause you problems. And uh, apparently, there are some uh, divisions between DeSantis and Morgan and Morgan, the law firm in Jacksonville, that Chris Kobach also has divisions with. Uh, and if you want to read about that, you can oh, find yes, more. Oh, yes, yes, the, the gas, the, the ga- natural Journal. gas yes. pricing lawsuit, yes. Yeah, Jason's been really on top of that at, at cjonline.com. Just keep sliding the plug in there, and people yes. will hopefully read it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we, we hope that you go to the, the basic The basic issue, folks, is that Chris Kobach canceled that contract and uh, had some criticism of the work they were doing. Uh, and there was some suggestion, which he denies, that it was because they gave money to Democrats. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good summary. Okay. It's like you read the Topeka Capital Journal. Yes, well... And if you want to be like John Hanna, and you do, you can go read the Topeka Capital Journal at cjonline.com. Like us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, and follow us on Twitter uh, at cjonline. Did I do that right? I believe so. Okay. Uh, Jason, if where the, if they want to find you on Twitter, as long as Twitter still exists. At where? Jason underscore Tid. 
I'm at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And John, how about you? At APJD Hanna. And then my stuff is www.apnews.com backslash and movement, Kansas. And if you want to listen to back episodes of Chillin' in the State House. And you do. And you do. You can find us anywhere fine podcasts are found. And John, where might that be? Uh, Spotify, Google Play. Um, Apple. Apple. Joe's Crap Shack and Podcast Emporium. <laughs> I like crap, so I'd be, I'd be good with this. Well, you, you, you did live in Maryland. I am from Baltimore, so I consider myself a discerning uh, taste for crab. Jason? Andrew. John? Jason, Andrew. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. Yes. And we will see you next week. We should have a lot to discuss next week. Uh, action by the governor and a lot of things and whatever other hijinks that we can get up to in the, the span of the next week. Until then, have a good one, y'all. <laughs>